What's up, everybody? Welcome to part two of the Tom Smith Week here on the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Um, I mean, we did this a couple of days ago, so with me as always is Daniel Terry here for our first two-parter, legitimately. Yeah, it's like the Empire Strikes Back of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. More like comes on your back. Yeah, something like that. Circle, circle back? No, sorry. I'm just trying to... They already gave you. They already gave you free things. It's kind of the <laughs> what? What? No, 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 never, never, never. They they do have cassette tapes on sale. Just saying. <laughs> um, yeah, this is our first two parter. Uh, this is the second part of it. Uh, if you listen to our first part, which we dropped on Sunday, uh, we decided to follow it up with part two, which Tom and I literally did uh, a couple of days ago, as of when you're hearing this. Um, like we said in the first episode, basically, you know, Tom talks so much about this this unreleased record uh, being weird and different and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we didn't want to ruin the surprise of It Comes in Waves being dropped. Uh, some other asshole did that for us. So, um, <laughs> but it was not us. We kept the secret uh, for about two and a half months. So uh, if we are known for anything over here at the Brutally Speaking Podcast, it is keeping good secrets. Although we did tell you guys that we have a Blood Has Been Shed demo. Yeah, we do, but you're never going to hear it, so haha. I also have a fully Dies Today demo that you'll probably never hear. <laughs> yeah, you should send that to me. Uh, you know, I, I found it this morning, actually, and listened to the whole thing, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a good song. Well, speaking of sending things to people, I did just finally package up your corn record, and we'll be dropping it off at the post office here in just a couple of days. Cool, I'll send you some uh, pins and maybe some coffee or something, I don't know. Sounds good. He's John's withholding like all kinds of great stuff until he gets that corn record back. I paid a lot of money for that record. <laughs> I bl- I believe that you did, and uh, I have kept it in as good a condition as I'm capable of doing. It's just been in the it's just been on the back porch for a couple of months. It's 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 probably fine. Yeah, no big deal. Um, but no, back to this uh, this conversation. Uh, Tom and I spent a Saturday morning basically uh, chatting about the new It Comes in Waves EP that the band put out. Um, I think the thing that I really enjoyed about this one was, like I said in the first episode, basically we don't get the opportunity very often to get someone to come on so quickly after doing a chat with them and to, to really have a pre and post album dropping reaction from Tom. You can literally hear how he how nervous he is about the record coming out and how he's like, I don't know if people are going to like this. But hey, that's okay because we made a normal, a quote-unquote normal Acacia Strain record. So people don't like it. It's like, yo, fuck off. Who cares? Here's your, here's the record you want anyway. We made a backup record. I love that. <laughs> but the thing that kind of is interesting to me and something that we hit on is I was like, yeah, but everyone loved this. So now what the fuck do you do? Like, what if everyone hates the full length? <laughs> you can already hear the discography discussion episode where I'm like, you know that 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 uh, it wasn't quite a full length album, but that EP they put out showed some real growth, and then now they're just straight up regressing back to what they used to be. I I just I don't understand it. What's your album of the week, John? You know, like it's <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can already hear it. Unpleasable metal fans, man. Absolutely, don't ever change. Okay, yeah. but but don't just put the same thing out forever either. Slayer, Slayer, yeah. Actually, that was something I wanted to comment on that we didn't touch on on the last episode was I love that story that, you know, when I asked him about how, because his dad makes guitars, and I was like, oh, how did you guys get Gary Holt a guitar, like, and actually give it to him? And I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, like, oh, it started with Cameo. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but no, this this was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed, you know, Tom taking the time to really talk about this. Um, it seems like when Tom and I get together, apparently we just... He loves telling me information where he's like, I can't tell you everything, um, but 
<laughs> Here's these things. Because, you know, when I pointed out, basically, uh, I got a surprise the night before when I tweeted, um, you know, that when Vincent posted, like, hey, the, the It Comes in Waves pre-orders are available, or you can buy it on iTunes for $4. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'll spend four times that amount and buy it on vinyl. And I was like, now, if someone would please kindly sell me a copy of Wormwood for not $300, my collection will be complete. And, yeah. he knew, and then he wrote back, like, we're doing a 10-year reissue. Like, it'll be out soon. And surprisingly, no one has picked up on that. Uh, I figured the PR... Like, in light of some of the bullshit that become, makes news headlines from tweets, whatever... Yeah, no I was surprised joke. no one saw that and was like, yo, Wormwood 10-year, and then started the whole speculation train on that. So I feel like maybe we're kind of at the, the beginning of that whole information that like yo wormwood is turning 10 this year and they're already are planning on doing a vinyl reissue which is great because uh, then i can get a copy and have my collection be complete and more importantly as we kind of hear um i guess we're getting a wormwood 10 year anniversary tour in some capacity yeah yeah man <laughs> I, I i am surprised that nobody picked up on that unless we're just entering in like like you know, we're entering a decade where nobody cares anymore. But I, I just I don't see that. What does Corey Taylor think? Right. Well, we'll find out. <laughs> speaking of, hey, by the way, speaking of, shout out to the PRP. We made their most top twenty-five viewed stories of twenty nineteen with our episode, conveniently enough, with Tom and Vincent from the Acacia Stream. We did. Yeah. Didn't I send you? Oh that? yeah, yeah, yeah. You did send me that. I'm sorry, dude. I, I've had some. I've had some insane 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 like holiday jitters man like my brain's gone my brain's gone completely blank i've been working like every day <laughs> throughout the holidays so my my brain's just gone but yeah no i thought that that was really interesting that we that we actually made their top 10 which is uh top, top 25 we top were the 25. 25th story <laughs> sorry 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 but if tool uh, didn't put out a record uh we would have basically probably been in the top 12 possibly yeah damn yeah. tool that stupid tool Ugh, that I, I don't know man i started playing that record whenever it first came out and it's still not over i <laughs> i just i just don't understand you know i mean how many how many discs is this is this record <laughs> um yeah so that was cool it, it, it just all kind of serendipitously is coming together that you know basically our first episode of, of 2020 is with tom of the acacia strain we ended our year basically making a top 25 story uh with tom and vincent uh it was funny when i sent him a text with that i was like hey thanks for uh giving me one of the top stories of the year and he was like new metal still sucks <laughs> yeah yeah that was pretty awesome even though it's wrong and without further ado, we are going to get into my conversation, the second part of our two-part series with Tom Smith of the Acacia Strain, and we'll talk to you afterwards. had the pleasure of talking to uh, Tom Smith, guitarist of the Acacia Strain. Again, unbeknownst to you guys, because we haven't released the episode that we did a few months ago at this point, <laughs> but uh, the band put out a new record. It comes in waves, which is out now via closed casket activities. And uh, I think the internet 
uh, was a bit shocked that we got a new Acacia Strain record so close to the end of the year. Um, so let's let's talk about that because in the episode that we did previously, we were kind of very vague, or you were. I didn't know shit about it, but uh, you were very vague, kind of in talking about it. But now that it's been out, we thought it'd be kind of fun to to kind of go a little bit more in depth on this now that people have heard it, and it would be a good companion piece to what we did. So, um, you know, I kind of wanted to to actually ask something that I noticed a while ago, but I didn't know what the fuck it meant, which is mm -hmm. it comes in waves and our only sin was giving them names have been appearing on your merch designs for a little bit now. And even I had mm -hmm. something that had something that said that. And I was like, I don't know what this is from. Like, it's not a lyric. I, I remember. <laughs> so how long had you actually been planning this? And had anyone really kind of put the correlation between the merch design to, Hey, I think this is something new coming out. Um, we had, so Vincent, it all started with a really, really vague idea from Vincent about two-ish years ago, two, two and a half years ago. We knew we wanted to do something like just do me, but we didn't know what we wanted to do. Um, but he like had the lyric concept already like lined up. He didn't have all the lyrics done, but he had the lyric concept already lined up and knew that he wanted to call it It Comes in Waves probably a year and a half ago. So we were like, all right, that's the name of it. And we were just immediately starting to tease it with like merch. And uh, I don't think anybody other than one person had ended up actually like tweeting at any of us being like, hey, is this a new song? Because I don't know these lyrics. But uh, yeah, people surprisingly didn't catch on to that. Like as much as I expected them to, you know, I thought it would be more of like a an obvious thing that it was going to become that. But we didn't get too many people asking about it even. Well, it's kind of funny because I actually just was reading an article yesterday uh, from Frank Iero of My Chemical Romance, you know, mm -hmm. talking about all the subtle clues he had been hint dropping about the My Chemical Romance reunion. Like he was like, you know, everyone keeps asking me this question about the reunion and it's starting to be like a broken clock. And everyone thought he meant to say, like, a broken record, but he was like, no, like a broken clock. It's right two times a day. <laughs> and then on top of that, when they were talking about their last record, he goes, you guys realize you've been wearing merch that says California 2019 on it for the last six years, right? <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. <laughs> so it's, it's one yeah, of those that when I started thinking back to my, like, I don't remember this lyric, and I definitely don't recall it being on anything that you guys have put out. I then was like, holy fuck, they pulled a My Chemical Romance and we just didn't even realize it either. Like, it was all the clues were kind of right in front of us. It was like a really fun, like, hiding in plain sight thing for us. Like, one of those things where you'd never notice the most obvious thing. So, one, like, the only thing that I was worried about was, like, a couple people got tattoos of It Comes in Waves before it came out. I was like, <laughs> oh, no, this record, this record is weird as fuck. Like, they might be getting a tattoo of a record they're going to fucking hate. <laughs> that was like my my only worry about that but yeah it was like it was really funny the way that uh it was just hiding right out there and nobody had really latched onto that idea or at least they didn't voice that they were latching onto the idea and figuring it out <laughs> well it's kind of interesting to me you know and, and when we were talking about this previously you know you were talking about how you had been recording this uh ep basically in your own spare time kind of self-producing it and so forth and what's mm -hmm. kind of interesting in, in reading that uh, article that or the interview that Vincent did with, I think it was Decibel, um, was, you know, he was talking about how you guys were doing it, like, literally, like, if you were done with load-in and soundcheck and stuff, you guys would be in the green rooms, like, writing stuff, 
you know, at Airbnbs and, and like any spare time you had. And then it kind of, again, made me start thinking about the few times I've seen you guys over the last handful of months or the last year, really, I'll say, and just kind of seeing some of the equipment out. And it didn't, I didn't even process <laughs> that even when I would like walk into a room and there's like gear out and I'm like, that's weird. Um, but it is kind of interesting that you guys created this record in such an interesting environment or lack thereof, really, because, you know, a lot of people, when you do the traditional, you know, interview cycle for a new album or whatever, you hear a lot of people like, yeah, you know, we just didn't really have a whole lot of time while we were on tour because there's not a whole lot of time to write anything. And sound checks is kind of the only time you're able to work on something because, you know, you're all up there and, and so on and so forth. And it just uh-huh. kind of when I read that you guys had like we're recording this literally everywhere and anywhere you had time to do it. It just kind of made me think, <laughs> was it? was it kind of hard to kind of have it be cohesive since you weren't in a traditional space where it's dedicated to, to recording and kind of being in the mindset to do it. You're just kind of throwing and going to make this record work and get it out in a tentative time frame. Um, so, so for me, all the stuff that I was, so I recorded um, the majority of the like rhythm guitars and uh, all the leads just cause it like, it's a bit more cohesive when you've got like one hand playing and I wrote, a good chunk of like the riff stuff. Um, anything that like Devin had wrote, I tracked him, but anything that Griffin had wrote, I just tracked his stuff too. Um, so it was like super easy for me to be in the same mindset that I needed to be in just cause I'm so used to like sitting around tracking. Like for me, it was just like, all right, cool. Let's just set up. Like I'll track the, uh, the only thing I would disagree with in Vincent's interview was like, the misery aspect of my <laughs> my experience i wasn't i mean i was definitely like fucking stressed out and like i i was also like right back in my first semester of college doing that because i'm taking classes as well so like that tour i literally did not have like a second of downtime it was like i was either doing homework or i was making the record so for for me it wasn't luckily it wasn't like a an issue of cohesiveness um i think because we had the material done it was easy like because me and griffin like we have we he owns a studio i was working for Putney for years like we just recording is like second nature to us so i think it was really easy for us with that um and devin like devin's done so many records that anytime that we needed to track like he was just like okay cool yeah just like give me a second um so it wasn't an issue as far as like the the tracking going goes with like cohesiveness. I do think earlier, or, or at least not, um, we we tracked all of it on the Knock Loose tour, and we had arranged the whole record on our Canadian continent headliner. And for me, that's where the the lack of cohesiveness really hit me. Uh, Griffin would be like just kind of Griffin arranged the whole thing. So he was the one like taking apart like my songs that I wrote, his songs, Devin's songs, and putting it as one big thing. So that's when I felt the lack of cohesiveness because he'd be doing it like while I would be driving. So I'm like, I can't hear any of this. But it was like I say the lack of cohesiveness, not in terms of like I don't feel like the record is cohesive. It was just like difficult for me to get in the right mindset to figure out the arrangement. So. That's just a really long-winded answer. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Uh, really long-winded answer of, as far as recording goes, no, it felt cohesive to me just because it's so second nature. But when it came to 
writing and arranging it, I was like, I don't know what the hell is going on, but Griffin's got a pretty good idea of how he thinks this should flow. I'm going to just let him take the reins on that. And then it ended up working out really well. Like we still went back and tweaked it occasionally, but uh, he, he was, he had a good ear for like figuring out how it should flow. And I just kind of let him take the reins on it. Cause I couldn't get into my own right mindset of that while we were in Canada. If that, if that makes any sense after how long winded that was. <laughs> no, it, it does. And I think that, there's a couple of things actually, and you're kind of speaking to something I was thinking of in listening to this, this EP the last couple of days in preparation for this, you know, so the whole thing is, you know, Vincent said in that interview, and I think you kind of had alluded to this too in our chat previously, that basically this isn't really singular songs that make up an album or an EP, but it's really meant to be a singular entity as far as how it sounds the songs kind of weave in and out of themselves and you know i think vincent said he kind of wanted to people to look at it as one song you listen to it all at once you don't go like oh i'm gonna listen to sin and then i'm gonna listen to them and and so forth and, and it's one of those where uh it it made me wonder in listening to it especially with some of the interludes and, and the kind of the uh spacey kind of sounds kind of going between how much mm -hmm. was Catch 33 by Mashuga an influence, especially in the fact that each <laughs> song individually kind of circles right back into the beginning of it, which is something that Catch 33 does that, you know, kind of fucks with people when you like skip tracks and it's like it comes back to uh -huh. that same riff. And a couple of times in playing it comes in waves, I noticed that like my phone would just play the one track over and over again because some reason I can't mm -hmm. figure out how to undo that. But I never noticed. I didn't notice until a part came back that I was like, "Oh, that part's cool." And then, like two and a half minutes later, that part would come back, and I'm like, "I don't think the song is four and a half minutes." Uh, but I realized <laughs> that it each song kind of does that very well in itself of just being self-contained and and being able to be played on a loop where you kind of don't notice, mm. but as a whole, it works really well into flowing into itself with the last track dovetailing right back into the beginning of the, the record. And I kind of wanted to know like how much attention was paid to that and how much, you know, with something like catch 33, cause it's really the only record I can think of that has done that and done it. Well, was an influence. Um, um, I want to give a really sick answer and be like, Oh yeah, I, I listened to sugar a million times. And then I wrote this, uh, I, I don't even know if that was intentional. Uh, so I'm glad it works out that way. Um, we, as far as like each track and then the way they flow into each other or the way that they come back around within themselves, I think that a lot of that helps because it was, we had just written regular songs because we didn't know what the hell we were doing for so long. <laughs> um, like, like we knew we wanted to make one large thing, but we had we had such a like a strong idea but not the right the means to get the idea out for so long if that makes sense um that we were just kind of writing regular songs and then when we finally started getting clearer on the vision and more clear on the idea it was like a uh it was like okay let's take these full songs and see how we can make them work together in the proper way. Uh, so I think if that is occurring, the way that they're like kind of looping back into themselves or looping back into like another part of the record, I think it's because they were all full songs or mostly full songs. And then it went into like this one big piece. 
Um, but yeah, I don't have like a cool answer for that. It just worked <laughs> out really well. <laughs> well, it's just something for me that, you know, like I, I mean, you and I texted like at one point I was like, yo, dude, are you using a talk box on this part? Cause it almost sounds <laughs> like it. So, I mean, it's like a lot of times when I listen to these records and, and it's sort of a shitty thing for me when people are like, yo, like you do a music podcast, what are you listening to? And I go, I don't really listen to music much anymore. Cause I, I feel <laughs> the problem when I do is that I look at it kind of objectively to like try to find little things in it. Like, you know, dude, are you using a talk box or, Hey, I noticed like this kind of keeps coming back. Like, you know, I'm trying to listen mm-hmm. to something more as a conversational conversationalist and as a conversational piece and it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to just sit back and listen to it objectively and be like that was good yeah I, I can i can't do anything but active listening and it's it's really difficult for me sometimes because of that where i'm just like like my fiance and i'll be driving around it's like a pop song and i'm just like oh my god did you hear that that's the same chord progression from whatever song oh, she's just dude. like yeah what <laughs> i'm like oh sorry like I'm in nerd brain mode, like just enjoy this song. And then she'll, once I point it out, she's always like, Oh, that's pretty funny. But it just didn't occur to her the same way. (laughs) Fuck. Sorry. I can't talk this morning. Uh, It just didn't occur to her the same way. So I get what you mean with the, like you're just critically and actively listening the entire time. I have ruined so many songs for my wife, unfortunately, because like, <laughs> like she was listening to, I mean, she listens to a lot of top 40 radio. So like at one point that, uh, I don't know what Justin Bieber song it is. Uh, I guess points for me that I don't know the song, but there's a point in it. <laughs> I think it's in like the second verse. There's like a weird, like he says something like his, his like line. And then there's like a slight pause in his vocal delivery. And then you hear like a weird, like, ah! kind of noise and i'm like why the and it's only in that spot and i I pointed it out to her she goes it's i can't not hear that now and i was like yeah i don't know why it's there it really bothers me uh it's like it's it's just a weird production thing that someone did i was like i don't know why you would have done that i just don't know but then there are times like she was listening to uh the new memphis mayfire when that came out and the song the old me and i was like i was like this is something and i was like i recognize this this melody from something and then I was like, oh, shit, it's the intro to Diary of Jane by Breaking Benjamin. And she was like, what? And I go, <laughs> yeah, totally. It's the intro to Breaking Benjamin by a Diary, or Diary of Jane by Breaking Benjamin. Like, even down sort of to uh, Maddie Mullins' like, vocal delivery is almost the same as uh, the dude from Breaking Benjamin's like vocal cadence. And then she was like, and then I played it for her, and she goes, oh, yeah, it is. So, like, I do the same thing, like, where I ruin songs, because then they're like, that's all I hear now is that thing that you pointed yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's such like a it's a blessing and a curse to be able to keep all of that music info in your brain. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I mean, for me, it's something that actually becomes and, and I don't think I even asked you this really the last time or in general. But like that has really stunted me from when I try to write stuff, because like I'll get on something cool or, or like a cool riff or like a, a good progression. And then somehow, either through the repetition of playing it, I'm like, oh, God, it sounds like insert whatever song I have heard a million times here. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh, or even more to the point, when you start learning other people's stuff, it's like, oh, like, you know, I'm I'm a big Atreyu fan. So, like, I've noticed that the other day I learned how to play one of their newer songs. I was like, oh, they did a slight variation of their, like, normal chorus chord progression here. And that's why it threw me for a while that I didn't, I was like, oh, it's cool. Like, it sounds different. And I was like, no, it's the same, like, four chords, just slightly arranged differently. And it becomes one of those things like, you know, when you kind of start breaking things down and seeing the how formulaic it is, I feel like it kind of makes writing a lot harder because you're like, oh, well, I know that this would work because it works a million times over when this band did it or whatever. 
But what's interesting to me is in thinking about this record, you know, like I know you were kind of saying like you were champing at the bit the first time we did the interview with you and Vincent about how you wanted to write and wanted to kind of start putting in some of your ideas and so forth after playing with the band for so long. And with this being the first example of what you've been able to do with the band, I know a lot of people, the internet comments, which typically you're not supposed to read those, but I mean, as a journalist, <laughs> quote unquote, I, I do. And it seems like a lot of people have been really excited to see the band kind of throw a curveball for everybody. And, you know, I don't know how much of that is attributed to you coming in and kind of changing some things up. The fact that it was a concept mm -hmm. or whatever, but how was it kind of writing this record and it, knowing that it kind of, and, well, I don't know if you knew it would be the first thing that came out. Uh, we'll touch on that in a little bit, but you know, it's, mm -hmm. was it kind of fun to write something that was your first experience being, you know, in the Acacia strain as far as a recorded process and it being different, was it kind of like exciting to do that and showcase something and be like, yo, like I'm the new guy, but like I also have all these new things and we have a lot of cool things we can do. <laughs> or were you like, fuck, man, if people don't like this, like they're going to blame me because I'm the only new ingredient at this point. <laughs> okay, so I have a good, amount, a good chunk to speak on that. But before I do that, I want to quickly address the, uh, the idea of when you're like writing something because of what you're listening to, where you like, notice that you're kind of copying a riff by accident, like that you were saying. Uh, when I write, I do not listen to outside music, uh, or at least not metal. Like I won't, like if I, like during the course of writing that record, uh, I was like, when I would sit down to write, I'd be like, all right, I have time to write this week. I'm not going to listen to metal, like at least for this week and maybe the week before, the week after. Uh, and I started doing that after I one day accidentally rewrote uh, You're Never Alone by Hatebreed. <laughs> uh, I like I sat down and one day I was like, fuck yeah, I got these riffs. Like, these are sick. Like, this is just a cool, like, ass beater hardcore song. Uh, and then I played it back and I was like, hold on a second. And then I was like, this, this sounds too close to a Hatebreed riff. And then I played... Uh, I was like, this sounds like something off Perseverance. I was listening to that record, and I was like, oh my god, this is literally this fucking song. So, and, and, and it was because I was listening to Hatebreed a bunch, like before that. So I was like, okay, I can't, I can't listen to metal or hardcore while I'm like in writing mode. Um, but yeah, so after rewriting a song, that's when I said I'm not gonna do that anymore. I just wanted to touch on that because I always think that's really funny. Um, but yeah, as far as like my first writing experience with the band and my first release and the way that the public is going to see it. Uh, it was both super exciting, but also crazy nerve wracking because this was such like an oddball record. Um, I, I genuinely wondered if this was going to be like the record that had so much backlash that it was like people stopped going to see us. I was like, oh my God, people are going to, this could be so hated or it could be so loved. And I was wondering like the whole time, like leading up to the release and knowing that we had a date, I was just like, oh my God, like th what are people going to think of this? And it was when uh, whatever news outlet spoiled it or whatever the, it was basically one kid on Twitter who ruined our surprise release. Uh, like, cause we didn't want anybody to be promoting it at all because we wanted to like we wanted such a weird 
unveiling of it because we wanted it to be understood that it was a weird record. And once the the secret li- release got blown for us and it was like, everyone knows we have music coming out. I was like, Oh my God, there's an expectation now. Like no one's, everyone's going to be expecting this kind of record. Now they're getting this fucking weird one. I was like, this could go so bad. Like I was, I was genuinely really nervous. Like, uh, me, my fiance and my best friend, Rick, were hanging out, uh, late at night on Christmas. And since it came out like at midnight and going into December 26th, uh, we were just like hanging out and I was like, I we need to do something because I can't stop thinking about this record going live because I was so fucking nervous for it. Um, that being said, there's been a crazy positive response to it and I don't, I don't, I can't fully compute why people like it so much as opposed to the reactions that they've had to other things. Like, I know that's sick, but I... I'm so surprised at how open-minded our fans have been. And I don't mean that in like a bad way towards our fans, but I mean it in more like a, this record is fucking weird and it's nothing like what we do. Um, so I'm super grateful how open-minded everybody's been, but I like, I even was kind of like de- preemptively defensive. Like when I tweeted the link, I, I realized that the next day that I was like kind of being an asshole. Cause I was like, here's, here's the new record. Uh, if you hate it, there's going to be more fucking breakdowns next, like talk shit that it's not continent. Like I was ready for people to hate it uh, when I shouldn't have been, but yeah, it was super exciting to be writing for something that was my first thing with the band, but it was also like a weird mindset to be in because it was not, it wasn't necessarily the band that I was in that I was writing for, you know, like we, I, I think I spoke to you the last time and like explained like, what the difference between writing this one and then writing the second record was, but it was such like a weird experience to be um, writing for this band that I love that I joined and having it be my first contribution, but kind of having to get out of the Acacia Strain mindset to write an Acacia Strain record. If that makes any sense for your question and, and the answer, it's a weird answer because it was a weird feeling and a weird, scenario but it was super exciting and i've had a bunch of people be like wow you could you could hear the the new elements that you brought to this band and it's like i think that's obvious just because all of us brought new elements so <laughs> i i'm i'm real excited also for the more traditional record that's coming out uh to be almost more of the standard but i i, I wrote a good chunk of it comes in waves so i was just real happy that so much of my writing got used for it. Um, so that was just fun in general. You know, <laughs> I think I've just, I've circled back and forth around that question six different ways in that answer. But yeah, there was just, it was a weird experience that ended up working out really, really well for us and for me. Well, I think the, the interesting thing about it is, you know, and, and to be completely honest, I, I kind of had thought that the, the regular, we'll call it the quote-unquote regular Acacia Strain release that's on the horizon mm-hmm. soonish. I kind of had thought that was going to be the one that was dropping first, and then you're dropping the weird one afterward, because that's kind of how you made it sound. Was like, as far as and um, I don't know how much of this you kind of want to talk about, but I think it kind of uh, speaks to maybe some of the 
uh, pressures that you felt because there was more time continually be, continually being added to this. But so initially when we uh-huh. talked to you, it kind of made it sound like, you know, like the record, this EP should have been released already. And it kind of almost made it sound like there was potential that both records were going to drop uh, in like at the end of this year. Um, mm-hmm. And so at that point, it was one of those things where, you know, you guys have been sitting on this EP for a hot minute and I was under the assumption you were going to drop kind of like the, the teaspoon of sugar for the teaspoon of potential salt or whatever, that you were going to drop the mm-hmm. first record that was more of the Acacia Strain sound. So that way it would kind of appease bands. It was time for the record to come out. And then maybe like at the a couple of weeks later or a month later, like, oh, okay, here you go. Here's this, this weird thing that we're not sure of. So that way if you aren't really digging the, the EP, that's fine. You got a full length of more of what you expected from us. But mm-hmm. – the reverse happened. You dropped the EP, and now now fans are potentially. I think Vincent, yeah, Vincent made a comment in the uh, his uh, decibel interview that the next record would be announced soonish. Um, mm-hmm. So at that point, like people now know that there's another full length on the way that is probably going to be more in in vain of what people want. Mm-hmm. Adversely, though, with how positive of a reaction has been to this EP, it's kind of making me wonder, like, if people are gonna like when they get the what fans probably of the band would assume they were going to get if they're kind of going to mm-hmm. be like well no i i want more of this this thing that just <laughs> i want more of that dude dude yeah i i was just thinking about that i was talking to laura about it last night i was like oh my god like we this was such a positive response like now what if people fucking hate the next one like <laughs> i was just like what like i like mentally i can't win with this um it, it, it's the next one does have some elements of it comes in waves. It's, it's not a con, like a big flowy concept record. Like there's clear start and stop songs. Like it's more of a traditional record in all senses, but there is still some of the, it comes in waves feel to it. Um, it's in some ways it's a polar opposite record from it comes in waves. Like just with the atmosphere of it, like, it comes in waves is super dark and like depressing while also having moments of beauty, uh, which I feel just kind of like, to be honest, like an asshole talking about our own record as being beauty and art fucking like a cornball. Um, but that's what people have said to me about it, where it's like this, like my favorite review that we've gotten for it comes in waves is uh, this is, a beautiful monstrous behemoth of misery or something like that. I was like, cool, that's tight. So there is some of that behemoth of misery in uh, the next record, but there, I, we really wanted it to be a contrast from it comes in waves. So as much as this one is a darker record, we wanted it to be brighter, even sonically Uh, like, we were really uh, conscious of making sure that the mix had, as much as it still is like super normal of a mix, there's little things that we did throughout it to make sure that the overall feel of it was like a totally different vibe from It Comes in Waves. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a worry of mine where it was like, holy shit, what if now this record, like we have a record done. Like what if now everybody's going to be pissed that we, went back to the quote-unquote normal sound of the band. Um, but I think there's enough of it comes in when you feel peppered in throughout it that it's it's going to work out 
the way that people want to hear it, where it's like, oh, cool, I've got just enough of It Comes in Waves with traditional Acacia Strain sound. So I, I, I personally think it's going to work out really well. I think the record's great. Like, everybody that has heard it on our team loves it. So I'm confident that people will like it. But, yeah, for a second I was like, man, if, if this came out and then we had to go record a new record, I might have wrote more It Comes in Waves style just because of seeing how positive a response that it's gotten. So something we had talked about previously was, I, I just kind of call it the Bring Me the Horizon effect now, like where you're kind of, you know, they're incorporating so much different shit. Uh, and I know I said at the time there was a recent interview with Ollie because I think they had just dropped a new song where he was like, yeah, I don't ever see us doing a full record ever again. And then coincidentally, mm-hmm. here we are, you know, this amount of time later, and they just dropped an EP. I haven't listened yep. to it yet in full transparency, but... With you guys having done a full length and an EP, they're kind of getting dropped somewhat simultaneously. And mm-hmm. the issues you had kind of supporting Grey Bloom, it does make me wonder since you're able to kind of self produce something yourself with, you know, between you and Griffin being in the band and so forth, if mm-hmm. you think it would actually be easier to not do a traditional album cycle and just kind of write a collection of songs, drop them, tour, do it again tour and just kind of go that route and not do a traditional album cycle where it's like okay here's a full length that we have to write for and in light of doing two records where you've done an ep and now a full length it makes me wonder if you Mm -hmm. would rather do that especially since you guys can do it yourself with the production career that half of the or i guess it's not quite half but half of the band has um i would i would definitely love to do that i like eps as a generally like when it comes to certain types of bands, like when it's a more straightforward kind of band where it's not generally all concept records, like, like, like Acacia's Train, like if we were, I don't know, like, uh, like Neurosis, like I wouldn't want to hear an EP from them. I'd want to hear a record, uh, or Converge. Like I only want to hear a record from them. If we were a band like that, I would never consider doing that. I would, love to just do EPs or like seven inches and splits with this band but I I don't think we would ever go that route just because uh, I mean even just based on our track record like the songs that are on seven inches and splits like people don't seem to know them as well and I feel like people don't pay attention to those songs as much because they're not in a collection like it's a weird thing where I feel like the there's almost not the care given to the smaller releases because it's not like it, it, it almost feels like it's thrown together sometimes. And I, I say that because there's definitely times where I hear bands put out like two, three songs. I'm like, well, you just kind of didn't, these are just throwaways, like they're leftovers or you didn't have the means at the moment to make a record, but you still needed to put something out. So I think sometimes seven inches and EPs get a bad rap because it's like a, it it almost feels like a, a crutch or like a like a last resort for some bands, um, and I just think that's why people don't pay attention to them as much. So our track record shows that like whenever we play above them, above it's like from a, the above below seven inch, like people don't know that song as well, and you can just see it in the energy in the crowd. Um, Out of curiosity. Sorry to cut you off, uh-huh. I just didn't want to lose this train of thought no, on myself. But you talk about that, and it does yeah. make me wonder, is it because 
and I'm trying to think, looking at my Apple Music now, is it because they're not readily available on like Apple or Spotify and stuff, and the, the only way to get it was to actually have it in a physical medium? Um, I think I know Above Below at least was on Spotify. I haven't looked in a while, but I know it was available on Spotify. I didn't know oh, that it no, wasn't it is. on I'm Apple. Sorry. It is on there. I just oh, okay. Forgot they okay, separate well, anyway, them. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's harder to find. You know, like I think it's just people don't know as much about a seven inch because there's not as much hype around it. Like it's not this big unveiling. So I think the songs just become more foreign. Um, Bring me can do that because they're, they're like, I think they're officially a pop band now, you know, like they're never going to go back to writing a breakdown. Um, So I, I think a band like that could get away with it because they're moving towards the fan base who doesn't care about records as much. But I think a band like us, we're going to stick to the main releases always being records. Like we've already got an idea for a seven inch that we want to put out um, and potentially a split. Uh, and we've got songs written. Like, I mean, I never, none of us ever really stopped writing. Like as much as we didn't want to be writing after that record or after the two records, I think we're all just constantly like, we're all just riffers. So we've always got ideas. Um, we like, we'll always do stuff like that, but I don't think we'd ever want to rely on that as our main source of getting music to the public, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. I just, it was kind of an interesting thought, you know, just, you know, taking something that we had talked about previously and kind of talking about it more in today's thing, you know, a music landscape, I guess, as far as being a touring band, being a band that has to rely on album sales and so forth. But we know that that doesn't actually correlate to, where you make your money, it's touring. So it would seem like if you were able to kind of constantly keep up with the, you know, because this sounds shitty to say, but I think it's the, it is the world we live in now, but it comes in waves as like the hot thing right now because people didn't expect mm-hmm. it. People like it, but I guarantee within a month, a month and a half, outside of those that it really resonated with, most casual music fans are going to have moved on to the next thing that they're really stoked on for a week or two. And then the, mm-hmm. it'll just kind of repeat itself. So it just kind of makes yeah. me wonder, like, if you to in, in order to kind of keep things fresh and keep the, the Acacia Strain brand out there, if it makes more sense, especially when touring is the way that a band like yourself will, will kind of make money, is to kind of do that and make keep releasing something every, you know, half year or so. And then just kind of be like, yo, like, you can, it might only be three songs, but I think we kind of had said this before, and maybe it was said in another interview I did, where it's like, yeah, we wrote 12 songs or whatever, we're just giving them to you in small pieces, but know that this is what a record would have been, eventually, we just mm. didn't put it all together for you. Um, yeah, it's, there will be something similar to that from us soon, so <laughs> we are kind of doing that. Uh, that's the only thing I'll say about that. But okay. yeah, I, I do, I do understand what you're saying. And I think it on paper, it makes a ton of sense for the idea of keeping the attention span going. Um, because I mean, especially nowadays, like music fans attention, like there's so much music out there that everyone's attention span can't, it's, it can't even help to be short. Like, in the summer, it's when when everybody's releasing, 50, like, every band has a record out. It's like, oh, my God, okay, I've got to spend this day listening to this record, this day listening to this record. Like, there's always going to be 
you moving on to the next thing quickly, especially with how how many uh, just outlets to like stream and listen to music there are. But I think I think for us, like the records, I think touring and making sure that our tours are cool and with bands that are important to us and to our fans is what keeps us on the on the um, on the horizon for people. And then I think records in general just work better for us. Uh, I, I do know what you're saying and I get it. And on paper, it for sure is the smarter way to do it. I don't know the reason why, but I think with this band, at least records work out better than the two or three songs here or there as like a long-term uh, attention getter or a long-term like fan base hearing a big chunk of things. I don't know. I don't know the proper way to word it, but I just think records for us work better. I totally wish we could be like a two, three song every couple months band, because that would be more fun for me too. Um, but yeah, I think we're just always going to be like a record band as our main thing. So we, when Vincent yourself and I talked previously, you know, about how Grey Bloom, Grey Bloom got shot in the ass with the, the continent, you know, 10 mm-hmm. <laughs> year anniversary tour. Um, yeah, I tweeted to uh, Vincent yesterday, I think it was, uh, you know, basically just stating like, because he was like, oh, did you know you can buy the record for four dollars on iTunes? And I was like, fuck that. I spent four times that amount <laughs> to get a vinyl. <laughs> and then I was like, now, if someone would, you know, kindly sell me Wormwood for like not three hundred dollars, uh, my collection would be complete <laughs> on vinyl. And he goes, oh, yeah. so, you know, we're sounds like a 10 year anniversary reissue of that is is in the works uh, as far as a vinyl mm-hmm. release. So I couldn't help but think as as you know you you put out an EP a full length is on the way and then apparently now here we are in the midst of another 10 year anniversary record celebration mm-hmm. and I'm like fuck man is the same thing about to happen where it's like all right we're going to support this thing uh, you know now we're going to do a 10 year wormwood thing that kind of shoots that in the ass again and then try to after a year year and a half of touring in support of that cuz that's what quote unquote <laughs> the fans want that now all of a sudden it's like, cool. So you remember that thing we put out uh, about a year and a half ago? So now we're going to support that again uh, and try to get momentum of, of that is, is in light of what you guys went through on the continent, gray bloom album cycles, we'll call it. Are you Uh kind of more aware of really trying to, and and this is me speaking, not knowing anything, but just kind of in light of that happening previously, are you more aware of not letting that happen and giving time for both, both of these releases to kind of have their fair shake before you would even maybe do something like that in light of what happened previously? Um, I can't talk in depth about it, but we have, because of the way that continent and grave bloom, like, like the essentially, Continent ten year ruined grave bloom. <laughs> um, the way that I mean, we talked about that last time, but yeah. um, because of the way that that went, we have figured out. We are in the process of figuring that out, making it, like co- coming to fruition. But we have an idea that will occur later in the year that will honor both the new stuff and wormwood as a like an anniversary in a very i think a very cool and unique way um but we are doing like everything that we can do to honor that record because it's super important to the band and to our fans um while also honoring the new stuff that we're putting out and making sure that 
attention, the, the proper attention is given to the new stuff so that we can move forward with new stuff. So I can't go in depth about it, but yeah, there's an idea that we've got that we're working out the kinks with and like literally just getting it solidified with booking agents and all the management side of stuff. But yeah, there's a, we've got a, a pretty cool thing in my opinion that uh, honors both old and new for that so that we don't shoot ourselves in the ass like we did with Grave Bloom. I just think it was a, you know, a very unique thing that I don't think fans and I don't think labels and, and people or the band really even thought of at the time. It was like, oh, this is cool. Fuck, man. We're, <laughs> we just dropped this record and we're supposed to be supporting that. And now that's kind of just shot all the shit. And then when Vincent, yeah. you know, tweeted that, I was like, oh, no, I hope that I hope people involved that were involved last time or at least are like, OK, let's not do that. Yeah. This time. Well, so, even, even to back it up and make it even more clear how much that sucked for us with Grave Bloom. We that record was done for a whole year and because of a million different things it got delayed a year where it should have been out for a whole year before the continent tenure, which would have made perfect sense where it's like, oh cool, we've had this new record out for a year. We toured on it. People get it. All right, let's do continent. Uh but yeah, so we didn't intend on it being that way. And but now that that's the way the situation we've been put in where we have to face that again, we were like, okay, we're gonna figure out a way to do something that honors Wormwood. I'm not gonna say if it's whole record, not gonna say how we're gonna do it yet because I obviously can't talk about it. But we're gonna do figure something out where we honor that and get to still play new stuff and figure it out that way. So yeah, we I think that was such a rough learning experience because <laughs> Great Bloom is a sick record. But yeah, we were like, okay, we can't let this new material become just kind of screwed by the touring cycles of everything. So yeah, that was definitely on our mind. So something that's interesting to me about It Comes in Waves is given that it really kind of needs to, to me, be represented in a singular listen, what kind of a challenge does that present when trying to put together a set list, presumably for some of these upcoming tours, where how do you incorporate this in? Do you just do a song or are you, and again, I feel kind of like a dick because I'm, as I'm saying this and asking this, I'm like, oh, I'm probably maybe ruining something else further down the road too. But <laughs> it's it's one of those to me where I feel like it would be a disservice not to just basically play this in its entirety because I, I, I don't know how you pick one song. It's not like, we'll shut it down or something like from any of the mm -hmm. other records where it's like, okay, here's kind of the hit. We play this, you kind of make the set list based on these kind of things. I don't know how you would pick a song from this and then just throw it somewhere into the set and be like, okay, that works. And now we don't play anything else off of it. So to me, it just kind of <laughs> almost seems like either you don't play any of this live until you can play it all in its entirety or mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I just kind of I feel like that's a, a fun challenge of being like, how do we do this now, knowing that there's also another full length on the way where you could probably pick and choose those into a set and do the traditional. Here's the two or three new ones from the record, in addition to most of the things that you're used to hearing us play. Yeah, uh, the simplest answer is I have no fucking clue at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think originally we didn't even. Um, I'm trying to think of even how to say answer it without like it 
without it coming off shitty, but I don't think any of us originally had even planned on it being stuff that we play live because it's so off the wall for us that like, I don't, I don't see a lot of our fans wanting to like, even the fans that like it a lot, I feel like you come to an occasion strange show for energy. And I, I, I don't, obviously this record is more feel than energy, you know? Um, but then now seeing how good of a response it is, I'm like, fuck, I would love to play like pieces of it somehow. Like, cause there's still fast moments. Like there's a, there's like two sections that are just death metal songs, you know, like there's, it's got me, the positive response has me thinking more about how can we incorporate it? And we use a couple different tunings on it. So it's like, we'd have to plan it out to be either transposed mid, mid, section like with our Kempers to change tunings like on the fly or we'd have to figure out like okay we're going to play these songs along with the seven string stuff or these chunks with the eight string stuff um yeah i i don't know because there's so much about it that was more just like an art project than necessarily like something that we would play live because there's so many layers and stuff too that it's before we can do that, we've got to figure out how to do it right. Cause I think it's such a special piece of music and seemingly every, like I haven't seen many negative things on it at all, which I was surprised about, like I said, but seeing how much people are receiving it. Well, I think for us and for people listening to it, we need to take time to figure out how to do it the right way to not cheat ourselves or people who are at our shows out of, the right experience for it you know i think the interesting thing that i've seen is you know the the pseudo negative comments have really only been like i never really liked this band but i checked this <laughs> out and this was cool definitely wasn't expecting this or something yeah. a variation of that where it's like okay so right out the gate the person's admitting like oh i don't like this band anyway so it's like all right well <laughs> then at least like yeah this wasn't necessarily for you but i mean it's like the fact that they're like it's cool that they're trying to something different uh kind of dug this one track you know I, I didn't see the outwardly negative like same old boring acacia strain or anything like that it's like like you said it, it's been really positive and kind of like one of those where in light of the conversation we had previously where i know you were really nervous about everything as a whole that i was just like mm -hmm. it's got to feel really good but now i'm just kind of like well, that sucks for you because now you got like, you got the thing that you thought people were going to kind of be like, oh, I, uh, I don't know about that. So now where you're like, I like that. And then it's like, if they like the other thing, you're like, well, now you got a real motherfucker of a problem because you have an EP people really <laughs> like and want to hear. Then you have a new record uh -huh. that people want to hear and like. And potentially, you know, the people that are like, Wormwood, 10 year, I need that too. So now you're faced with like this triple headed monster that I'm like, so you guys are busy for the <laughs> next like three to four years of figuring all of that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I you really put into light how <laughs> how difficult that's gonna be just now. <laughs> uh, I didn't even yeah, like I you're fully correct. Um, it's already pretty difficult to make our set list just because of how many records we have. But yeah, uh, this year is gonna be tough for picking out a set list. <laughs> um, I mean, at this point, I think you just yeah, need to do a machine. I don't know do anything to, with. Well, uh, dude, I would fucking love that. I know everybody else in the band would fucking hate that, but <laughs> I. I would love to just play a three hour set. <laughs> that's like, I mean, that's why I played guitar at left behind on that tour. Cause I wanted to play more guitar. So I would 
I would kill to do an evening with the Acacia Strain. <laughs> that would be wild. I think that would be be one of the few ways to pull everything off that we've kind of talked about, where it's like, okay, maybe the first set is is it comes in waves. You, or, I don't know. Because I feel like I, I see more theatrical like production into it, like with different lighting, maybe a backdrop with LED walls or something that kind of creates a vibe. Yeah. Uh, and then I couldn't help but laugh thinking in my head of uh, when you were like, oh, I don't know how we do some of this because the different tunings. And I'm like, you have your tech come out with like the guitar on the, the stand and then you just quickly <laughs> kind of do whatever on that. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, I think it'd be kind of funny to or fun to see like it comes in waves. Then you do like a, a maybe a more standard set or maybe Wormwood in the middle and then, you know, a more traditional set of the rest of the stuff. But I think like that to me would be one of the few ways you could actually pull off um doing this and i think you know in light of like you said like it comes in waves as its own vibe and i think that would be one thing and then maybe you get like one other band to kind of go in the middle of everything so at least you get a little bit of a breather um <laughs> i don't know but like i, I just as i kind of been thinking about it, it's like i feel like that's one of the few ways you could really pull off doing and giving everything a, a, a it's fair shake uh in light of the the conundrum you put yourself in <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh I, I would I would love to pitch your idea to my guys, but I know the answer would be no because <laughs> I don't think I I mean ultimately after two days I would be over playing a three hour set. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would I would love to be doing that. <laughs> that's that's my that's my uh, my holy grail Acacia Strait set is playing a three hour set that way. <laughs> um, I don't really have a whole lot left uh, to kind of talk about because I know, like I said. The, the the next record hasn't really been announced or talked about, so I don't really want to do <laughs> like what we did with the, the EP. Um, yeah, where I start blabbing about things I'm not supposed to. <laughs> and then I have to sit on an episode for like two months. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yes, I apologize. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it happens all the time. I'm just glad I didn't basically put it out and then someone, like, and then I ruined the surprise. Like, I tweeted to Vincent when he was like, the internet sucks, like, when the, the leak happened. Uh, at least of the uh, information, and I was like, "Hey, at least it wasn't me. I've been sitting on my shit for like yeah. two months, like, so at least you know yeah, I can keep it secret." Once that happened, I was like, "Oh, thank fucking god, we sat on that on that episode." <laughs> I was like, "I don't," because then I would have been the one who ruined all of it, and I don't want that. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like this is the the projects and everything that you kind of have talked about, and some of the vagueness and so forth is going to keep you guys very busy. Do you feel, you know, for a band that's shit been around for 20 is it 20 years now as a band but basically you Close know to. yeah a band that's been around for like two decades and so forth and and kind of coming into it is it kind of overwhelming knowing that it feels like now is when the band's kind of hitting its peak and in a nice stride yeah it's it's interesting um obviously i haven't been there the whole time because i think i was nine years old when the band formed <laughs> um if not younger um yeah, so obviously I wasn't there the whole time, but I feel like I feel like there's something special about the five of us. Like and I, I it it sounds corny, but I feel like I've I've listened to this band for so long, I've seen so many different lineups. I feel like granted I'm up on stage and not seeing it, but I feel like the five of us have hit what the Acacia strain is supposed to be. And I see a lot of people saying that as well, like I get messages all the time like, uh, like, man, I know you're newer, but I just want to let you know, like, I've been seeing this band for X amount of years and the five of you, like, you guys have completed each other in some way. And I think it's 
really special that we were that we're able to do that and that people feel that way and I'm super grateful for that. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to be almost at a new high point with a band that's been around for that long. I feel like that's more of a question for Vincent just because he's wrote out the, all of the ups and downs. Um, but just from my perspective, yeah, it's it's fucking awesome. Like uh, Dan DePondi, the one of the former guitar players of Acacia Strain, who is pretty much responsible for the Deadwalk, he shared something big like shared a big post about how how different the band is now but how seemingly we have captured like what the band should be and for somebody who was in the band and was in a very important part of the band um for him to say that too i was like wow that's that's fucking sick like it's it's not just me who feels like the five of us have something special with us you know it's a cool feeling to be like be able to still surprise people with a band that's been around this long. And I think it takes the five of us together to be able to make something as unique as it comes in waves. If that makes, if that answers that in any way, I think it's important. I think the record had to take all five of us, whether it was like, whether whoever wrote the amount of riffs or whoever wrote the amount of lyrics or leads or whatever, I don't think the, percentage of what people did was as important as all of us having the right mindset and coming together to make the record together no i definitely agree with that and i think as someone who's been around almost since the beginning i think i came in right at the tail end of 3750 uh just because kisha strain used to come around here so often that it's one of those things where it's always been consistent and steady but i feel like lately it's like you know for me yeah it there are certain records which re- more resonate with me like 3750 i don't know if the band would have stayed around as long as it has if they continued kind of on that path because there were other bands kind of doing some of that mo- more i don't want to call it more generic metalcore but i mean that kind of like mm-hmm. oh here's kind of like a more melodic song that has like you know like that weird am radio kind of vocals over it or whatever to yeah. you know the dead walk kind of was a stark contrast at times from what 3750 was mm-hmm. and you know i think a lot of people that's where a lot of people came in on that came on the acacia strain bandwagon and you know i think there have been certain records like some people it's continent some people it's wormwoods some people you know have only come on recently so it might be gray bloom for them but i think that you know mm-hmm. that's been the interesting thing is i think some people stayed on for everything and there are you know, tinges to the past on everything where it's like, that's undeniably the Acacia strain, but there's always mm-hmm. been a little bit of growth. And I think, you know, between, you know, like you were saying with Dan, I think everyone who's kind of come in, like, you know, a lot of people who are big fans of DL, I think DL kind of put his stamp on what, on his time in the band. And that's, you know, I understand why people like him and like the stuff that he was doing, but I think that's kind of an interesting thing at times when bands kind of go through, I guess a great, a great example is like Every Time I Die. That is one of my favorite bands of all time ever. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that they, you know, have had numerous bass players come in and out of that band of varying degrees of, you know, what they're able to do. You know I mean? You had Josh from Shiner in the band, you know, and he added a different element to the band. And mm-hmm. then you have different drummers. And I think, you know, like when you had Rat Boy for a while, like the state, like admittedly, like, you know, the band was kind of like, I hey, just kind of wasn't really growing with us then you get legs who just shoots that band in the fucking ass and gives them a new shot of adrenaline and a new life to then having (laughs) daniel on the on the band or in the band for one record but holy fuck low teens is a 
stupidly great record. And now I'm excited to see what Goose does and stuff like that. And it's Mm -hmm. just one of those things where I feel like sometimes bringing new blood into the band is what keeps the band being able to survive and and change and, and grow for 20 some odd years. I, there aren't very many bands that can be around that long and not have some kind of a member change. And I think that's what makes it stay viable to me. Yeah. I, I don't think lineup changes are necessarily always a negative thing. Like I feel like they get a bad rap as if it's like a, Oh, no one could stay in that band. But I, I think lineup changes are cool for progression because you get somebody who hopefully understands the previous work and like, and understands what that was meant to accomplish. And then like you take that and then put a new spin on it. So yeah, I, I back, I I understand what you're saying. And I don't, I think lineup changes get a negative connotation just because it's not the same faces, but as far as like writing and progression, I mean, granted I'm probably a bit biased because I'm a part of a lineup (laughs) change. um, But I, I do think that they, can be helpful for just like adding new elements to it like if it's like the same couple guys for that long things might get stale they might not i don't know you never know that but i think lineup changes can be a positive thing that shouldn't necessarily always be looked at as like a oh what the fuck like can't keep members you know yeah well um i'm gonna kind of wrap this up since i know you you have a time to spend with your, your fiance and so forth. Um, so the Acacia Strain's uh, going out uh, starting February 28th, uh, New Haven, Connecticut, with Rotting Out, Creeping Death for some of the tour, Chamber, and Fuming Mouth. Um, what can we expect uh, from this tour? Uh, I think a lot of uh, ass beating. <laughs> I don't know. That's a real heavy tour. Uh, I, I, I hope everyone could expect to just have a lot of fun because all those bands are fucking sick. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I have no clue what we're going to do about a set list for that tour. So I got no real answers for that, but you could expect a good show. <laughs> I'm excited to uh, see you guys having, I mean, you're not coming to here in Grand Rapids, so I got to make up a little bit of a trek, but, uh, looking forward to the show <laughs> and, uh, maybe for once I'll actually be able to crowd surf. Cause usually by the time there's like a decent song, <laughs> a pit just breaks out. And then by the time I'm able to get to a spot where I can, I'm like two feet, two people away from the barricade, and I'm like, that's not worth it. Well, there, I think the goal for this tour is to not have a single goddamn barricade because this kind of tour, it would just kill the vibe of the tour. Like, this is obviously more of a hardcore tour. We want hardcore kids to be stage diving and crowd surfing. So hopefully, there's no fucking barricades on this tour. <laughs> So you'll be a little, you'll have more safety because barricades just fucking make everything worse anyway. <laughs> yeah, I got dropped uh, during an Eated show many, many years ago. I got dropped right on my ribs, and I don't think I broke them, but I definitely had a hard time breathing for a little bit after, like for about two weeks after that. Yeah, I think Vincent, like, he might have fractured one of his toes or one of his, like, his foot or something because he was trying to get down on the crowd and move over, and he got caught up and, like, Someone got dropped on top of his foot or something. Yeah, barricades just fucking suck. Like, everything about them makes things worse. So, hopefully no fucking barricades on that tour. <laughs> well, thanks again for taking the time. Uh, you'll have basically a whole week to yourself at this point with uh, with both of these uh, chats we've done. 
But uh, I want to take the time and say thank you for uh, for taking the time initially and uh, entrusting me in the secret that wasn't even released at the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you for keeping it a secret. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and for coming back on to you know kind of talk more in depth about this uh, this thing that you know obviously was so passionate uh, or that you guys were so passionate about doing, and I think is resonating with so many of us longtime uh, Acacia Strain fans. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I appreciate you letting me explain it again and explain the feelings behind it now that I can talk about it. So yeah, thank you also. So that was my second chat with Tom Smith of the Acacia Strain. Uh, huge thanks to him again for your, uh, taking a Saturday morning uh, to, to do that. We didn't have you know breakfast or cartoons on, but uh, just some two dudes uh, sitting in their respective homes and enjoying each other's company, talking about what a colossal fuck up they did by releasing two albums in one year while they also have to support a 10 year anniversary of another record you know i i know quite a bit about overbooking <laughs> and uh i can tell you that it's not easy for anyone your your friends and family abandon you everybody thinks that you hate them you might hate them i don't know what your personal circumstances are but uh yeah it's uh they got a lot on their plate right now and uh i think it's great I think they could not be any more active and I think that they, you know, I, I think that they definitely, um, I, I said this in the last one, but like, I almost feel like they're like relaunching their career in a way. Yeah. Like they're just coming out swinging when all they had to do was release stuff, you know, like at, on in the normal timeline. I think, you know, there's a few things to what you're saying that we touched on that I think kind of needs to be expressed a little bit more. And Dan, I think, is a great person to talk to this about with him being on discography discussion. You know, we talked there at the end about how lineup changes actually probably aren't a bad thing for a band that's been around as long as the Acacia Strain. And, and I think, you know, it comes in waves in Tom being in the band and, and some of the guys that have been in the band for a while now. I think is a great example of what having someone new in the band can do for a band that's been around that long. Yeah, I mean, having having fresh blood in the mix um, typically will make your beer taste horrible. But uh, I think I think having having young blood in the band can, especially with a band like the Acacia Strain, who kind of came out of the gate swinging originally there aren't a lot of bands that maintain that level of intensity forever. You know, eventually, eventually it's, it's going to wean off. And, uh, that, that's, I think more due to just general exhaustion. And I think that that's, I think that that's what we're seeing with Acacia strain is that like, they don't really have to deal with that because they're constantly being refreshed with new guys. I think the thing that was interesting is, you know, he talked about how Grey Bloom got sat on for like a year. Then when they finally put it out, were touring and supported it. Now it's like, oh, let's do this Continent 10 year. And it just, like, as he said, it ruined Grey Bloom as far as a tour cycle. Like, basically, the whole point of touring behind a record is to help push and promote the new record. And if all you're doing is playing a record 10 years old, that negates the whole thing like we talked about that in the chat with vincent and and tom from you know earlier or earlier last year and is one of those things where i think it's really awesome to hear that that was an experience that taught them how to approach potentially doing something this year where they're balancing two releases and a 10-year anniversary and trying to appease fans for all of those uh in a live setting yeah yeah which is like a really, really tall order. Um, but yeah, so I'm very excited to see basically what 
what that experience taught the band and how they're maybe going to approach uh, doing this tour in support of a record that's 10 years old, as well as supporting, you know, a, a newer record. Um, I, it's a tall order. I mean, I made the joke that maybe they need to start being like Machine Head and doing an evening with. Um, actually, I think, you know, Acacia Strain could do that. I, I don't know if this isn't a slight on Acacia Strain. I just don't know. Same with Machine Head. I don't know if I could sit there for three fucking hours watching one band play, though. Depends on the band. I don't even know if I could do it for every time I die, and that is like my favorite band. Ah, uh, yeah, clearly, as as, as everybody's going to find out here in a couple of days. Well, you know, uh, or no, they probably will have already found out by the time this comes out. So there you go. Uh, you know, certain bands I could do it, like Tool, like like a band that I didn't, I wouldn't have to like get up and like mosh for. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Is I think or like Opeth or something like that. That has more, I don't want to say diversity, but has more, not as much crowd participation. <laughs> Probably would make it a little bit easier. Yeah, but then again, how do you also not fall asleep? I think, I think that's the biggest issue is that, like, how do, you, how do you not fall asleep after two and a half hours? I don't care how good the band is. If it's making you feel that good, and you know you're just going to keep buying drinks the whole time you're there. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, three hours—that that would be kind of rough, but uh, you know, it, it might work for somebody. Yeah, I'm uh, very much looking forward to this uh, upcoming Acacia Strain uh, tour. They are going out with Rotting Out, uh, Creeping Death is on some of the dates. Uh, looks like they're on for about about two weeks or so. Uh, then you have Chamber and Fuming Mouth, which uh, if you follow Vincent on uh, Twitter, I think he posted it on Instagram as well. Uh, most of this this bill uh, put out his favorite albums of the year, so. I think that goes to show that the Acacia Strain loves taking out bands that they they love uh, and are passionate about and fans of themselves, which is always great because there's a sense of camaraderie on a tour that you know sometimes you don't always see. And uh, very much looking forward to catching it. Uh, tour starts February 28th in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, wraps up on April 5th in Philadelphia. Um, if it's coming around you, go check it out. Um, I'm looking forward to going to Detroit and hanging out with Tom and the guys uh, and seeing this whole bill. I, I may not have any limbs left uh, to drive because, like he said, this is an ass beater. So, um, great fucking tour. 2020, by all accounts, looks like it's going to be a year full of great tours. Um, the lineups for I think they're getting smarter now. They're announcing like festival lineups like a year in advance, so you can actually. They're not pulling this shit where it's like, okay, we're two weeks away from the thing, and we still have a mystery headliner. It's like, no, fuck that. Give it all to me now, so I can give you all my fucking money and make plans like an adult to go see these things. <laughs> Oof, furnace yeah, fest. I'm gonna. I've got a furnace fest. I've got to go. You got to. How far away is it? I don't even know where it is. It is a seven hour drive from St. Louis to Birmingham, Alabama. Oh yeah, it's in Alabama. Yeah, well, you could say all you want, but all the greatest bands like ever that I care about are gonna be there. So, nah, man, they ain't got no stained or Nickelback on that shit. Yeah, no, they've got like actually good bands. Um. They've got bands like Converge and Norma Jean and Code Seven and Beloved and Shy Halud and Hopesfall and Misery Signals. Yes, Boy Sets Fire. I mean, they're dude sixty eight furnace. Yeah, uh, sixty eight. Yeah, okay. Um, hey, it's fine. Might be reuni it's, reuniting. No, I, I, I'm gonna. Uh, that's gonna be a no from me. <laughs> Uh, Josh Gogan was very, uh, very pissed, very upset that his phone basically exploded for no reason. Well, I mean, flip flows vibrating all the time are rather annoying. 
Yeah, you got to open true. them up to see the texts, and you're just like, God damn it. If I had to guess, I, see, I always figured Josh Gogan's phone was like a sidekick. A, still, was like a was like a rotary dial, <laughs> like 1920s sort of deal. Nah, fuck that. He's got tin can on strings. <laughs> he he probably does. He's like, I heard something about a chariot reunion or something about chariots in a in a in a unit. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Furnace Fest is uh, all the talk of the town. If you're into hardcore uh, or a fan of that genre. From the early to late nineties, early two thousands, um, I think the only thing that would make it just make every dude come in their pants like instantly with no touching would be like if you know Poison the Well did an opposite of December show on that. Yeah, <laughs> Dan is speechless. <laughs> you just that was the sound of Dan coming. <laughs> I don't even. I don't know. Uh, okay, um, I gotta get to Furnace Fest, guys. Whatever you gotta do to help me make that happen. If you gotta buy all the pens. <laughs> buy, buy all the pens you know what i'll do you know let's do that let's let's get into our plugs and wrap this episode up uh if you would like to follow acacia strain again facebook instagram twitter at the acacia strain all one word uh go pick up their new record it comes in waves uh it's out now via closed casket activities the vinyl pre-orders are still up i don't know what they have left in stock they might even do a second pressing i don't know uh worst case go buy it on itunes it's worth actually owning uh in some capacity uh the newest record the full length it, we don't know what it's called yet. Uh, it's coming. So uh, more Acacia Strain, more Acacia Strain, more Acacia Strain. Um, if you're interested in following Tom, you can find him on Instagram at tsmith678, Twitter at tsmith underscore W-A-V. Uh, if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find him at metalnexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at metal.nexus, Twitter at metal underscore nexus. And if you would like to keep up with Dan, you can find him at discussmetal.com. DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com Twitter at DiscussMetalDan That's pretty much where I live <laughs> And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast We live on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter Over at Bruce Speak Pod Simple enough uh, Go over to YouTube We have all of our stuff over there We've been getting a lot of new followers A lot of comments on stuff Greatly appreciated uh, We want to kick 2020 off Really great We want to start this year strong um, So that's why you know we're doing a two-parter Our first two-parter ever Looking to have uh, some really big guests and A lot of fun chats already done on deck For you all to listen to uh, I've been getting some emails If you'd like to email us BrewSpeakPod at gmail.com Go ahead and do that Reach out to us We do read them May take a little bit to uh, get back to you um, Just because we're busy uh, If you'd like to keep up with our show sponsors Head over to TheBeanBastard.com Get you some delicious coffee as always, buy the Shitters Blend until it is gone. I promise you, you will like it. You can find them on Facebook at The Bean Bastard, same as on Instagram. Uh, for the On Point Palmade, head over to onpointpalmade.com. Use our code BSP15 and get 15% off your total order. Keep your hair, keep your beard looking oh so great and on points. Uh, again, I always say, just start following Matty Mullins on Instagram and look at his hair. He uses his own shit. Look at how good his hair looks. Yours could equally look that good. Uh, I, I'm not obligated to say that. Maybe that's not true. You know what? Fuck it. That's true. That's If you use On Point Palmade, uh, your hair will look as good as Maddie Mullins. Uh, I'm going on record as saying that. Um, pins. I'll say this. If you want to help Dan go to Furnace Fest, we're not going to do a Kickstarter. We're not going to do a GoFundMe. Just buy these pins from us. Fif pins, baby. Pins. $15 will get you a pin with shipping and handling included in the U.S. If you live outside the U.S., we'll figure something out. We need to get Dan to Furnace Fest one way or another. We're working on it on our end, but, like, hey, you know, a good backup plan's always in order. So if we sell enough of these pins, maybe we can get Dan some uh, a weekend pass to Furnace Fest. 
Sounds good to me. There you go. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next week. And I am Frankfurter. <laughs>